Spirit is proof of this new life that we have in Christ. These formerly pagan Galatians, they are now living in such a way that it is evident, not only to other other non-Jews that lived in these communities, it was evident within the community of faith. And if we are a community of faith, then we also have received the Spirit. And the Spirit is in us. And the Holy Spirit is among us. And if that is true, then it should also be evident. If you have to show someone that you have a baptismal certificate, it's not evident. If someone at work has to, finds out you go to church somewhere and they say, oh, you're a Christian? It's not evident. Paul said last week, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Later on, Paul is going to develop this even further because he's going to talk about, in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. So the question that you need to ask yourself, not just now, I'm talking about this week. Ask yourself, how is the Spirit evident in your life? How is it evident in your life? You may say, well, I read my Bible daily. That's great. That is great. You know and you read about the book that the Holy Spirit inspired, but how is that book living through you? You may say, well, you know, I go to church every Sunday. Man, that's fantastic. We encourage that here. We really do. But how is, how is the Spirit interacting when we come together as a people? You may say, well, you know, I, I'm not living an immoral life. I could show you people out there, and they're living. And listen, Paul talks about the works of the flesh in, in Galatians chapter 5, right before he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And that's great. You're not involved in the works of the flesh, but you need to ask yourself, at what part of the Spirit? How is the Spirit working in my life? If you really look close at the fruit of the Spirit, they're not commandments. They're not a list of, of, you know, do it this way and do it that way. It is, it is something that flows out of us. It is generous qualities that we discover. And in our world, these qualities become very evident when we're with people. Do people see you and do they think, you know, that's a person of of love and joy and peace? Or do they say, you know, that's a person that's filled with with hate and and they never seem to have any kind of joy in their life and they're a person that's always just full of inner turmoil. And so we have to ask the question about ourselves and say, how would someone assess your attitude? How would someone assess your attitude? A spirit-filled church is one that is kind and it's gentle. 
Are you a person who's confrontational? Are you a person who is always negative? Is church a place that you come in order to be served? That it's always about me and what they didn't say or what they didn't do and how they... Or is it about a place that you come to serve? Are you a divisive person or are you a person who's truly a peacemaker? Folks, read the book of Acts. And you just see, every time it talks about they receive the Spirit, there is something evident that happened in their lives. And, and I realize they are living in a particular time that is foreign to us. They are speaking in tongues, and there are these miraculous healings and prophecies and things of that sort. But folks, there are times we see they receive the Spirit, and they just have this outrageous joy and praise for God. You find that all of a sudden they become a group of people who start sharing what they have and serving other people. The Spirit of God is absolutely evident in their lives. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is the Spirit of God evident in my life? Or is my life can be compared as anyone out there who doesn't have the Spirit of God? Paul is making this appeal. And we need to see it for ourselves in this experience with the Spirit of God. Here's the next thing I want to notice, and that is trust God. That's another thing that I get from all of this. In fact, let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. Let me read verses 6 through 14. He says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. So understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now, the Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and foretold the good news to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. Now... It is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Oh, there is so much in here. And that's really one of the purposes of the class that we have, is really just to dive into this. And it's just absolutely amazing what it opens up. Folks, faith is a central theme throughout this entire book of Galatians. When we say faith, we often think of terms of believing. Well, I believe in God. But this is a term that's speaking of a trust. It's a trusting faithfulness. And Paul uses Abraham as the model of what faith, what that trust is all about. He's calling for us to go back and read Abraham. He's calling for us to go back and to see the life of Abraham. And it's especially important that we see the faith that Abraham had even when things just absolutely did not make sense. Even when he had no idea what was going on. Romans chapter 4 and in verse 8, Paul 
writes, and he says, against hope, with hope he believed, speaking of Abraham, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. And goes on in verse 20, he said, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. What did he promise? He promised this guy who's almost 100 years old and he's got a wife who has a womb that is dead that they will be they will be the father and mother, if you will, of these, this great family. That they are going to have many descendants, as many descendants as the stars in the sky. And they believed it. Abraham heard that promise and he trusted that God was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. It wasn't that he believed in God, but he believed God. Does that make sense? Abraham heard God's promise. He trusted. And if you read Romans chapter 4, Paul says that there is nothing that Abraham did apart from his faith that credited him for righteousness. That faith, he says in Genesis 15, in verse 6, is what gave him, uh, brought him about righteousness. Legalism is the exact opposite. And we've talked about this in class. And again, you miss a lot when you're not in there to get some of the, the details here. But when he talks about the law, he's not talking about, he's talking about two different things. He's talking about the true law. The true law has always taught trust, trusting faithfulness. We see that from Abraham on to the prophets and everything else. But then he uses the law in a second time, and he uses it with a word that wasn't invented at the time, this legalistic rule following, that if I follow these laws, then I'm going to have salvation. The law never was intended for that purpose. Legalism uses a wrong method of interpretation. Instead of letting God's word speak for itself and to guide us, what legalism does is it selects one verse, and it pulls it out of its context, and it is used over here for this particular purpose so that we can now set up our laws as to what we believe that you have to do and what you don't have to do. And that law, that word, that verse, it absolutely has God's authority behind it so long as it's taken within the context in which it is given. And we as mankind are notorious about taking laws and taking words and taking verses and pulling them out and using them for our own purposes. Even those that do not say specifically even what some things are, we pull it out and say, well, it's inferred. That's a legalistic approach. The verse is definitely a part of it, but legalism says as long as you do certain things, you will be saved and you will enter into the kingdom of God. That's what these missionaries were doing with the Galatian believers. And they were saying, if you do certain things, if you are circumcised, if you follow dietary laws, if you do other things of the law, then you truly will be saved. 
All you have to do is obey the rules. Trust is the motivation to following God's law. Faith is the motivation to doing what God wants us to do. And that means trusting Him when it doesn't make sense. We go back to Abraham and Hebrews. In Hebrews, he says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, and he went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. I love that. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise. And he goes on, he says, For he was looking forward to a city whose foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He had that kind of faith. If that isn't impressive enough, Hebrews goes on and tells us something else about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He offered, he received the promise, and he was offering his unique son, the one it had been said about, your seed will be traced through Isaac. In other words, this is how the world will be saved, is through this seed. But now, I want you to go out and take this boy that this is supposed to happen to, and I want you to kill him. And that is so far-fetched from our minds in the 21st century, but we don't have the minds of those back in those days. But it says he considered God. Look at that. To be able to raise someone from the dead as an illustration. He received him back. Do you have that kind of faith? We can follow every single law, but if it isn't done with a heartfelt trust in God who sent His Son for the atonement for our sinfulness, then it's just annoying to God. You see, you can actually follow the laws of God and be annoying to Him. Yeah, come on now. Now, if you're following the laws of God, let me give you an illustration. We go back to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. And Isaiah, speaking for God, he says, I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. Now, these, this was a part of the law of God. He says, they have become a burden to me. I'm tired of putting up with them. Yet the legalist lives under a curse because they're going to fail. They're going, and they're going to be doomed. If that's what you trust in, if you trust in laws, I'm here to tell you, you're doomed. Because we never have been able to do it. The whole purpose for us to see Israel is to see that they are exhibit number one. They are exhibit A. It's not happening. We're still trying to conform to the ways and the teachings of Christ. We know that. But our identity, where is our identity? Is our identity in God or is our identity in those laws? And that's the question you have to answer. And that is, what do you put your identity in for your salvation? I was baptized. And if I wasn't baptized, I would be baptized. Jesus was baptized. Jesus taught his disciples to go. And one of the things he said is to be baptized. But my identity is not in baptism. My identity is in Christ. We can turn a sacred ritual into a legalistic law. That's the point. 
If you're asked why you're saved, or how do you know you're saved, if your answer is because I was baptized, that's a wrong answer. The answer is, I am saved because I was rescued from this present evil world by the sacrifice of my Messiah. That's the correct answer. Jesus took the curse. Baptism, it's a means to the source. Outside of Christ, water doesn't matter. It has no purpose at all except to clean us outwardly, outside of Christ himself. Our identity is given by our union in Christ. And this is what he really pushes here in Galatians chapter 3. I'm saved because Jesus rescued me. In baptism, I put on Christ is what he will go on to say. But here's the thing. We haven't even gotten to baptism yet. That's at the end. That's actually the, the very end of chapter 3. You know what he says here? He says we're saved by trusting in the gospel. That we receive the Spirit by hearing in faith. Read it. It's there. Some people are only looking for a law to follow that they will make them feel better about themselves. They're not looking to follow Jesus. They're just looking to follow something so they can say, look, well, I've done this. That's not the trusting faith of Abraham. You're starting to understand trusting faithfulness, folks. In Jesus, that's what saves us. So the question is, you have to ask, is do I have that same kind of trusting faithfulness in Christ to save me? And if you say, yes, I do, then ask yourself, how? Let's notice one more thing. Emancipation Day. Emancipation Day. There's a big word in verse 13. Love this word. Redeemed. Redeemed. It is a word that's used to describe the emancipation of a slave. The book of Leviticus. It is a gory, bloody book. Just is. Learn about all this sinfulness and all of this blood that has to be shed with animals and sacrifices because of sinfulness of man towards God and also towards other people. It shows us what is necessary to be made right before a holy God. There has to be sacrifice. And so the Bible's ultimate answer is Jesus, because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. His is the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. There would be no more bloody sacrifices of animals once Jesus came. And by his death, we are brought to God. Leviticus helps us to see who we are. It helps us to see that we need a Savior. It shows us what has to be done in order for a curse to be lifted. Jesus paid the full price of our penalty so we could be justified. 
But why? Why not just continue in these blood sacrifices of animals? The book of Hebrews answers that, and and it's so explosive. And it talks about in there, Jesus is a superior high priest. He brings about eternal salvation. A new covenant is established with God's law that has been placed into the minds and to the hearts of His people. We can now know the Lord. We can come before the throne of grace, the throne of the Almighty God. Our sins are forgiven and they are remembered no more. But did you catch Galatians 3? In verse 14, he adds something here. He says, Jesus came and he died so that he could become the curse so that the Gentiles could receive the blessings of Abraham and the promised Holy Spirit. By trusting faithfulness, We are emancipated from sin. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. And we're going to talk more about this great freedom when we come in the first part of chapter 5. Paul's point is why would you want to go back to a cursed system? Why would you do that? It's a question for us. Why would we want to go back to a system where our own goodness, our own following of laws perfectly is what saves us when we know we're going to fail Talked about in class, Moses, man, in the book of Deuteronomy. Oh, man, that book. Wasn't it great this morning? That book in Deuteronomy, it just opens up the way, and Paul quotes it all through this. And what's great is, he says, you're blessed by following law, and you are cursed by not following the law. And Moses comes at the end, and he says, listen, you've got to choose, and and choose life, choose life. And then he says, in chapter 28, he prophesies, and he says, but you're probably not going to do it. Actually, he says, you're not going to do it, and you're going to end up in exile. I know, too, I know you guys too much. That's kind of the way Deuteronomy ends. It's there for a purpose. Paul's calling our minds back to that for a purpose. Our salvation has never been determined by works. It was never determined by works under, under, uh, under the law of Moses. Even Abraham was credited for righteousness by trusting faithfulness. I trust Jesus to save me. I trust Jesus to be with me in my darkest hours. I trust Him in death. I trust that He will raise me from the grave. I trust He knows what is best for my life, even though I'm not real sure how to make sense of what's going on in my life. I trust Jesus, so I follow his example, and I follow his words because I trust him. Do you trust Jesus? Do you have a, will you be faithful to him? 
And maybe the question we need to ask this morning for some, it may be, what's stopping you from coming to Christ? What's stopping you from receiving the Spirit of God? What's stopping you from putting your trust in God? And you may be here, and you may be someone who's baptized, but you may need to ask yourself, at what point am I going to finally trust God and stop trusting in my own obedience to rules as to what saves me or what doesn't save me? It's not about going out and living a life of every way you want to live. If you believe that, you just have no idea what we've been talking about. Where's your identity? It must be in Jesus. And if we can help you this morning, we want to help you with that. And some of you may be to a point say, I'm ready to be baptized. We want to talk about that. Some of you may say, you know what, I want to, I want to talk more about this faith. I, I'm struggling with it. I need to have this trusting. We want to talk about that. Some of you may say, well, you know, I, I really have this trusting faith in God, but, but I do struggle at times, even though I've been a child of God for years. We want to help you with that. Maybe you've got some things you want us to pray about, because we trust God. That's why we go to Him in prayer. We trust Him. Even when things don't quite turn out the way we prayed it. We trust that He knows what's best. And we trust that He's going to see us through. And that even if my problem is going to lead me into the grave, I know that that Jesus is going to bring me out of the grave. Yes. 